Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show I'm Michaela and today we'll be looking at the legacy of atomic testing and paying tribute to Polynesian trade unionist Roland Oldham who passed away at age 68 last month. Roland was the president of Muroi Itatu, an organisation that he co-founded with John Taranui Doom and Bruno Barillo in 2001. Together, they battled successive French governments who refused to address the health and environmental consequences of 30 years of atomic testing in the region. Roland was a driving force in the campaign for recognition, compensation and reparations for the Maui workers who suffered adverse health effects from their work at the Muroa and Fungatofu nuclear test sites and a champion of the nuclear-free and independent Pacific movement. In recent years, he worked closely with the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons to ensure that the rights of nuclear survivors were included in the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons that was adopted by the UN in 2017. Trade unionist, anti-nuclear campaigner, guitarist with the band Atomic Blues and so much more, he was a true Pacific warrior dedicating his life to helping others. We send our condolences to friends and family. And one of those friends is Nick McClellan, who works as a journalist and researcher in the Pacific Islands and is a part of the Nuclear Free and Independent Pacific Movement. And today we'll bring you an interview with Nick by 3CR Current Affairs reporter Jan Bartlett, where they discuss the work of many atomic survivors that have passed away in recent years and about the new generation who are building on the amazing foundation of work by campaigners like Roland Oldham. We've spoken many times over the years, Nick, about the nuclear tests in the Pacific and it's come a time now when a number of those activists from those years are passing on themselves. Yeah, it's been really tragic over the last three years that... uh, uh, really, a whole generation of anti-nuclear campaigners, people who were really instrumental in raising uh, the issue of nuclear testing, both the campaign against testing while it was going on between 1946 and 1996, more than 310 nuclear tests across the region, but also, more importantly, people who kept campaigning for the rights of nuclear survivors, Many people across Australia, Marshall Islands, uh, Kiribati, French Polynesia and other sites were affected by health and environmental impacts of uh, the nuclear testing, particularly the the hazards of radioactive isotopes, radioactive contamination. And there's a generation of people who, since the end of testing in '96, have been campaigning for the rights of those people affected people who've been as trade unionists, as political leaders, as church leaders, really involved in calling for compensation, reparations, medical support for people whose health has been affected by nuclear testing. And that's been a a pattern across the region. And sadly, that generation, um, some of whom worked on the nuclear test sites themselves, 
uh, coming to an end and uh, many have died in recent years. How successful have they been in winning those rights? Slowly, slowly, they've been quite successful, but the battle's never over. In both the Marshall Islands, in Australia and in French Polynesia, there are systems that have been created for compensation for people whose health is affected. In all three cases, however, the original creation of the scheme was insufficient to meet the range of health and environmental impacts and placed enormous burden on nuclear survivors, whether they be civilian or military, to prove that their health problems, their cancers, their leukaemia, whatever, was caused by the nuclear testing. So in French Polynesia, for example, for many years the French government denied that their 30 years of nuclear testing between 66 and 96 caused health problems. Indeed, just last year, um, President um, Edouard Fritsch of French Polynesia, who'd been a right-wing political leader for many, many years, uh, lieutenant to long-serving President Gaston Floss during the nuclear period, he admitted in, in the Territorial Assembly that he'd lied about how safe the tests were, that he'd openly lied about the, the lack of health challenges and so on. And for the nuclear campaigners, particularly in a group called Muro Etato, Muro Anas, um, who'd been campaigning for compensation, they were not surprisingly angry that, that they'd known for a long time that there were health effects. And sadly, we've seen uh, three key leaders of Mururoe Tato die in the last three years. The French have finally admitted that there were health impacts. They've set up a compensation scheme, but there's still a battle to change the onus of proof. Really, the, the French state should have the responsibility to prove that someone's cancer was not caused by their service on Mururoe on Fangatof atolls, on the nuclear test sites. Instead, the onus is for the worker who worked on the test site to prove that their cancer was caused by their service there. And it's really difficult because you can get lung cancer from smoking, you can get lung cancer from all sorts of sources, so to actually prove that it was caused by your exposure to radiation. Um, But we know that there were people given dirty, difficult, dangerous jobs on the test sites. Um, Some years ago I interviewed a guy, Raymond, whose job was uh, as a diver, scuba diver, to dive into Mururoa Lagoon after underground tests were held. Um, they used to drill a hole in the basalt base of Mururoa Atoll in the lagoon, uh, put the bomb at the bottom, plug it up with concrete, and then exploded. The idea that the, the radioactive isotopes would be fused into the basalt rock um, of the base of the atoll uh, at massive heat you know, caused by a nuclear explosion. But they sent Raymond to dive into the lagoon to take water samples after, basically to see whether the concrete plug had leaked or whether radioactive isotopes like tritium were leaking into the marine environment. And we know today, of course, that there were enormous fissures and cracks in Motoroa Atoll, something that the environment movement said for 40 years, but was been denied successively by the French and the local government for, for decades. You know, we know through the International Atomic Energy Agency, which is no radical body, uh, that there's at least five kilograms of plutonium scattered in tiny particles through the sediments of Mururoa Lagoon. So Raymond's job, who was to dive into the lagoon to take samples, obviously caused him terrible health problems. He died, sadly, some years ago. And when I interviewed him, he was, you know, saying, it's pretty clear that I was at risk. It was clear that I was given the shit job that they wouldn't give to a Frenchman why won't they 
take responsibility for looking after me now that I'm sick. And um, there were three great champions who did campaign for the rights of the Mororoa and Fungotofa workers. A church leader named John Doom, a French researcher named Bruno Barrio, and a Maui Polynesian trade unionist, uh, Roland Oldham. Um, those three men co-founded Mururo Etato in 2001 um, and spent uh, nearly two decades campaigning for compensation for the thousands of workers um, who'd staffed the test sites over that 30-year period. Tell the story of John Doom. John was an amazing man. John was a very active member of the Protestant Church, uh, which is the largest denomination in French Polynesia. He was a church deacon, fairly learned man. And in the 1960s, he was chosen then to be the interpreter between uh, the Tahitians and the French in 1966, July 1966, when the first nuclear test was conducted by France. France began its nuclear testing program in the Sahara Desert in its colony Algeria. But after the Algerian War, they continued underground testing in, in the Sahara Desert, but began building the Mururoa base in the South Pacific. First test was the 2nd of July, 1966. John was present, acting as an interpreter, and what he saw on that day transformed his life. He realised that this was a terrible, terrible thing, the development of nuclear weapons, that um, French Polynesia should have nothing to do with French plans for building a nuclear arsenal, and he spent the rest of his life, uh, the next uh, five decades, campaigning against nuclear weapons. And he became a very influential figure in ecumenical circles in the Pacific. He's a charismatic, very warm, human, humorous figure. He went to work for the Pacific Conference of Churches, which is the main body-linking mainline churches across the Pacific, ended up with the World Council of Churches uh, in Geneva, uh, representing the Pacific in the Global Assembly and was really a driving force in getting the global church community to find out about nuclear testing in the Pacific and particularly in French Polynesia to play a role in campaigning, firstly to stop French nuclear testing and then to work with nuclear survivors. And John Doom was a really crucial figure in that. Bruno, his colleague, was a brain box. Bruno worked with a disarmament organisation in um, uh, in France, uh, in Lyon, a uh, former Catholic priest. He'd worked in Africa, you know, was really committed to social justice. And he spent a lot of time working with the military personnel, French military personnel who'd staffed the test sites, uh, wrote several books and realised that the French military were being looked after by military hospitals, but all the Polynesian workers, the Maui workers who'd staffed the test sites truck drivers, customs officers, labourers, all sorts of people, scuba divers uh, and others, um, were not getting that same care. So Bruno came to French Polynesia and devoted the rest of his life to working with uh, uh, the nuclear survivors. And the third of the three amigos was Roland Oldham, um, trade union activist, a man of many features. Uh, he's a blues guitarist. He plays in a band called Atomic Blues. Um, he was... Uh, very active in a whole range of social justice campaigns, but he was chosen as president of Mordorei Tato uh, when it was founded in 2001 and remained that until his death uh, just uh, two weeks ago from cancer. And Roland uh, was very different to John, quite irreligious. Uh, 
Roland and I were at a church service in um, 2000 in, in Tahiti and he was translating from Tahitian to French and I was translating from French to English for an international audience and we could see some mutterings and, and laughter from the audience because two rather irreligious types translating biblical parables, the translation was mangled by the time it went from Tahitian to French and French to English and afterwards, the pastor came out and said, some people, he said, looking at Roland, need to go to church more often. So Roland was working alongside church activists to campaign for workers' rights as a trade union activist. He continued to, since John's death in Christmas Eve 2016, Bruno's death uh, in uh, March last year, and now tragically Roland's death this year, um, that generation of people who were absolutely central to keeping this issue alive when people think, oh, the nuclear era is over. Um, well, we know it's not. Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un are reminding us that the, the nuclear issue is, is still with us. Um, ICANN, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, shows that, that it's still with us. And indeed, Roland travelled uh, from Tahiti to New York in 2017 to campaign and lobby with the team from Melbourne, um, from ICANN, to include in the new Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons a section on the rights of nuclear survivors. And the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons is unique and, and indeed sets a precedent for the future that, unlike every other nuclear disarmament treaty that's ever been signed before, there's a specific section on the rights of nuclear survivors. And countries that sign on to the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons have obligations as a state party to support and assist nuclear survivors in terms of their health, in terms of their compensation and so on. That's, as I say, unprecedented in any disarmament treaty. And it was the work of people like Roland, like ICANN activists, indeed Indigenous activists from Australia, Karina Lester, were party to that, um, uh, making this a really important part of the treaty not only cleaning up the environmental impacts of nuclear testing, but also addressing the rights and the, the, uh, the health of people who participated in the testing program. Would you say that the rights or lack of rights for the people resulting from the French and the US tests were any different to the French? Well, the, the situation is that the... The Americans have a very litigious tradition and so they've set up a nuclear claims tribunal in the Marshall Islands um, and through the court system a whole series of judgments have been brought down uh, recognising health and environmental impacts. Um, the nuclear claims tribunal in the Marshall Islands has issued rulings amounting to $2.6 billion for compensation. The problem is, however, that um, in the Marshalls the American government has refused to provide the necessary money to pay all the people whose property was damaged, whose lives were affected, whose health was affected. Once again, the same story. There were a, a number of campaigners in the Marshall Islands, a guy called Bill Graham, an American uh, who was the public advocate for the Nuclear Claims Tribunal, who kept working after the, the tribunal brought down its rulings many years ago uh, to see that they were impacted and um, relying a lot on the testimony of uh, nuclear survivors who were affected by there. The first-hand testimony is so vivid um, and it's uh, a really important part of the process that people who were there can speak. 
some years ago, I interviewed um, a woman named Lemion Abon. Mrs. Abon was a young girl, 14 years old, in um, uh, the island of Rongelap. Uh, it's one of the northern islands in the Marshall Islands. And on the 1st of March 1954, a nuclear test called Bravo, codenamed Bravo, exploded into the sky. It was the largest nuclear test ever conducted by the uh, uh, the United States. It was a 15 megaton nuclear test. That's the equivalent of 15 million tonnes of TNT. Now, the bomb that destroyed Hiroshima was 15 kilotons, 15,000 15, tonnes of TNT, roughly. Um, this was 15 million, so you can imagine the enormity of the blast and the radioactive isotope spread across the northern atolls. I interviewed Lemio and uh, another woman, Rinok Ricklon, both young girls at the time, and they talked about, like, snow falling from the sky, and they thought it was soap, and they rubbed it in their hair. They lost their hair within days from radiation uh, poisoning. Um, Many people from the northern atolls died in subsequent years, but Lemio... um, it was an ongoing campaigner into her old age. Uh, she and uh, uh, Mrs. Ricklon were, were both forthright campaigners, spoke many times about how it had affected their health, their reproductive health, uh, and were very involved in campaigning for reparations and clean-up of the atolls, not just uh, funding to help with their own health problems, but also the clean-up their atoll so they could go home because um, she was one of the people evacuated by the Rainbow Warrior, um, the ship that was later blown up by French terrorists in Auckland Harbour. They were removed from their home island because of the radiation hazards, isotopes like cesium-137 coming into the coconuts, uh, coming into the food crops, um, affecting the fish and so on. And so um, Mrs. Arbon lived in exile for her pretty much her whole life. And sadly, she died in February last year after a long period campaigning for uh, the rights of people there. In Australia too, uh, the British have refused seriously to address questions of reparations and compensation. And uh, the great champion for Indigenous people in Australia was Yami Lester, once again, who passed away in the last couple of years. Um, um, Yami Lester, who was effectively blinded by the Totem 1 test, 1953 British atomic test at uh, Emu Field. And um, uh, he was famous for raising the issue of the, the black cloud um, the the um, contamination, uh, the dust and so on, and uh, lived with blindness for most of his life, uh, uh, which he attributed to the testing. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, heard across the country thanks to the Community Radio Network. We're bringing you an interview by Jan Bartlett with Nick McClellan from the Nuclear Free and Independent Pacific Movement. Talk more about the next generation coming on who are supporting and keeping this issue alive and that's the that's the the thing that's that's so important and so encouraging you know nuclear testing ended in 1996 the last french test began in 1946 so there was 50 years of nuclear testing across the pacific in australia in kiribati in johnston atoll in french polynesia in the marshall islands and that generation who were there during that period in the 20th century, are now getting old and passing on. But a younger generation have picked up the torch. We mentioned Yami Lester. His daughter, Karina, Indigenous activist from uh, South Australia, travelled to New York to join in the campaigning alongside Roland Oldham from French Polynesia 
to strengthen the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons. And Karina was uh, a really crucial uh, player in, in bringing forward the issue of the rights of Indigenous peoples in the nuclear period because nu- most nuclear weapons testing was done on the land or the waters of Indigenous peoples. Um, and uh, Karina took a statement signed from people across Oceania, from Australia, New Zealand, uh, the Pacific Islands, to those global negotiations um, that created the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And she spoke at the plenary at the United Nations, calling for recognition of Indigenous peoples and reparations, compensation, assistance to nuclear survivors. And as I mentioned, that that now is a, a section of the treaty. A number of countries have signed um, the treaty. Uh, many have ratified. Palau's ratified. New Zealand signed and ratified. Um, uh, many of our neighbours, um, uh, Fiji has signed it. Uh, um, you know, Kiribati has signed it. Tuvalu, uh, you know, Indonesia, Thailand, Malaysia. Guess which country hasn't signed it? Aotearoa, New Zealand has both signed and ratified the treaty. Our government has refused to participate in the negotiations, refused to sign it. Um, let's see what Billy Shorten and his gang will do um, on this important question. And who are the younger generation in the Pacific? Well, Karina's, you know, matched by people across the region. Uh, in the Marshall Islands, um, uh, a new generation of young people have heard the tales from their parents, their grandparents, about what it was like are living with the, the consequences of very high cancer rates uh, in a society, um, still know that the northern atolls are very badly polluted, that there are people who can't go back. Um, every year on the 1st of March, the anniversary of the Bravo nuclear test, the Marshall Islands government and churches and community hold a ceremony in Majuro, the capital, for people, particularly from Bikini, from Eniwetok, uh, from other places, who've been... Uh, are living for decades, and the young kids at Egypt, one of the islands where the Bikinians are, um, wear school T-shirts emblazoned with a nuclear mushroom cloud to remember, to remember. And so you have um, Kathy Jetnell Kitchener, well-known Marshallese performance poet, who's just done a wonderful piece. She did a poem called History Lesson, um, which is uh, worth looking at. It's on YouTube. Uh, and she travelled with a young filmmaker to uh, Eniwetok Atoll. Bikini is well known, but Eniwetok was the second site uh, where 67 American nuclear tests were held in the Marshall Islands. And on one of the islands in Eniwetok Atoll, Runit, uh, there's a massive concrete dome, enormous, uh, spreads, you know, huge, huge area, and covers 73,000 cubic metres of nuclear contamination. Basically, after the tests, the Americans bulldozed a whole lot of contaminated materials, contaminated soil, into a hole, into a crater left by one of the the nuclear blasts that vaporised one little islet. Um, Then they just covered it in concrete. And um, as anyone who's looked at a footpath recently knows, concrete doesn't last that long. So this was done in the 1970s. Um, The concrete is cracking now and leaching radioactive materials into the marine environment. Who's testing it? Uh, well, no one, and that's the problem. The Americans have basically given up their responsibility for, for addressing these sorts of problems. So this is a global story, from the deserts of Algeria to the Kazakh plains to Lopnor in China to India and Pakistan to the furthest islands of the Pacific. This is a global story, and the nuclear era has created sacrifice zones 
all around the globe. And many of these areas are contaminated beyond remediation. I mean, the Algerians were really interested in the Australian experience because they'd heard that the British had spent $100 million in the late 90s trying to clean up Maralinga, clean up the desert, where they burnt plutonium and americium and other metals across the desert. And they were interested, could the French pay to clean up Regan? And we from Australia were sad to tell them, sorry guys, you can't clean up a desert. Let us not forget too, there's also the whole nuclear power industry, Fukushima, Hanford, Rocky Flats, Chernobyl, the list goes on and on and on. There are sacrifice zones contaminated around the region. It's going to take another four decades to clean up Fukushima and billions of dollars. And you still hear Ningnongs talk about how we need to go nuclear to address climate change. Okay, let's think about the challenges of climate change, but let's clean up the mess that was created during the 20th century, during the nuclear era, and let's address the rights of the indigenous peoples who bore the brunt, by and large, and the military personnel who staffed the test sites. Let's address the issues of health, of compensation, of reparations, of clean-up, before we start talking about new power plants, um, there's a lot of work to be done. And there's a new generation standing up. On the 1st of March this year at the University of South Pacific, the Marshall Island Students Association, young students in their early 20s, stood up and had a ceremony saying, let's not forget, March the 1st, the anniversary of the Bravo Test, nuclear-free independent Pacific day. The younger generation are standing up and saying, Just because our elders have died, the ones who are there, we cannot forget because it's with us forever. That's all for today's Radioactive show. Despite the sadness of the passing of Roland Oldham and many other staunch nuclear-free campaigners of his generation, they have left a strong legacy that the younger generation continued to build on. If you'd like to support survivors of atomic testing, you can do that by promoting the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And an action that you can take at your local level is getting your council to support the Nuclear Weapons Ban Treaty. And to do that, just go to the website icanw.org forward slash au forward slash cities. Thanks so much to Jan Bartlett and Nick McClellan. This interview first aired on 3CR's Tuesday Home Time. We'll share the interview in its entirety for the podcast, so if you'd like to listen back or share this or previous editions of the Radioactive Show, you can visit our webpage, 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. The Radioactive Show was produced in the studios of 3CR on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nations, now known as Fitzroy, Victoria. We'd like to thank the Community Radio Network for getting the show out to community radio stations nationally and the generous support of the Friends of the Earth Melbourne's ACE Nuclear Free Collective. You can contact us by email radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com and find us on social media, The Radioactive Show on 3CR. The music used in today's show is Pacific Must Be Free by Black Brothers. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. You've been 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.